0: So I uh, am terrible at keeping secrets. We have, we have been, Tracy and I have been married for 23 years, and in that time, I have never successfully kept a secret for like, um, like, like an anniversary gift or Christmas gift or birthday gift. I have attempted it a few times, and some of them even have had secrets that have been kept for several months, but none of them has ever actually been kept all the way to the Christmas or birthday or anything like that. It's always falling apart. Um, I actually took a, uh, a leadership course, inter- varsity, an inter- internal university inter- leadership course, at one point. At which uh, part of being in that class is everyone was assigned three people that you were supposed to secretly watch. that were also in the class, and at the end of the course, you were to give each other feedback about you know what what did you observe about each other. And so at the end of the course, I gathered with the three people. We were all secretly observing each other, and one of them said, "Yeah, I knew you were watching me," and then. <laughs> Another one said, "Yeah, me too." And the third one was, "Yeah, yeah, me too." And I was like, "How did you know?" So the 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 feedback uh, the feedback uh, mechanism was called SBI. It was an acronym. It's not important what it stands for. But one of them said, "Well, anytime time like a teacher or instructor would mention the phrase SBI, where they referred to the feedback mechanism, you would look at me." <laughs> and then the second one said, "Yeah, me too." Like, "Oh yeah, yeah, me too." So so what makes this worse is that I have a habit, usually in these things, of sitting in the front of the class. So imagine this. I'm sitting in the front of the class. You know, I turned off again when I put it in my pocket. So So there's this mystery... And a couple of characteristics, now we're not even going to read the, we're not yet reading what the mystery is, it's about to be revealed, but already we could say there's a mystery and there's two things he mentions about it. Paul says that he's written about it briefly, he doesn't say when. I believe he's actually referring to the verses immediately preceding, um, that that he, when he talks about Jew and Gentile, former enemies, people that were at odds with each other, far from each other, being brought to be made in in a holy temple in the Lord, and he said he's written about this briefly and he's going to give us more detail about that. The second characteristic of this mystery that that Paul says is that it has not been revealed to past generations. In other words, this is not something that is encapsulated in what uh, Paul would experience as his scriptures, which is what we now call the Old Testament. It is something that is relatively recently revealed, revealed to Paul and his contemporaries, to the followers of Jesus. This is something that is new revelation. And uh, this mystery is and if we read verse six, and you can see this in your um, in your bulletin, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery, the secret, which Paul has gets to reveal to people, the thing that was not known in the past, is not that Gentiles can worship God alongside Israel. Because um, that, is, that doesn't fit the description of something that was not previously revealed. Um, throughout the Old Testament, we read stories of people who are not Jewish becoming worshipers of God. We have Rahab the Canaanite. We have Ruth the Moabitess. We have Uriah the Hittite. There are plenty of people. So the phenomenon of Gentiles worshiping God, that's not the secret. Um, and in Isaiah, which is actually alluded to a little bit even in our Isaiah readings today... Uh, There's even the holding out of hope that there would be many Gentiles, many Gentile nations, potentially, that would come and join in the worship of God. So the mere inclusion of Gentiles into the worship of God is not the mystery. The mystery is that those Gentiles that are included are heirs together, members together, and sharers together with Israel. That is the surprise that no one could have anticipated is that Gentiles could enter the worship of God as equals. That Gentiles could enter the worship of God and remain Gentiles. You see, like, the, the, um, the imagination, the, the imagination of, the, of the scriptural world is not our current um, enlightened, so, so-called American liberal imagination. So, we assume that all people are the same and all cultures are the same and all cultures are equally valid. And that's a, it's a nice civic sentiment, but that was not the assumption of the biblical world. It was not the assumption of the Jewish world. As a matter of fact, there was a very clear best nation, greatest nation on earth. There was a clear best culture, and that was the culture that received its culture in writing from the top of a mountain, namely the Jews. Um, and so for Paul, the uh, the unless it was revealed to him, there is no way that one would expect that Gentiles would enter the worship of God with Israel as equals. Israel had the right answers. Israel understood the revelation of God and had known known it for uh, centuries. Um, And so, the idea that Gentiles, every expectation would be that if Gentiles would Enter the worship of God, that they would give up their their identity and would be assimilated appropriately into the one true nation, the one true culture, the one best culture that most reflected god and if, and if that were not the case, it would be a threat to the integrity of the fact that that uh, God had revealed a way of life that the jews were were following. Uh, moreover, at this time uh, the Jewish nation was experiencing uh, who had the experience of being an assimilated minority, oppressed um, by a, a large Roman uh, oppressive totalizing empire. And so the, the picture was the Gentiles are now ruling over us. We are subservient to the Gentiles. If and when God did invite the Gentiles to come and join the worship of God, there's the every expectation that it would not be on equal terms, but rather the roles would be re- reversed, right? We would be on top as we should be, ruling the Gentiles instead of the reverse, and in a place where our true convictions, what we know to be true of the one true God, are, is, is being both marginalized and ridiculed, and at some points um, even made illegal. So when Paul says that the Gentiles get to come in as heirs together, and members together, and sharers together, along with Israel as equals. That was a fresh revelation. That was unexpected. Now, when I teach um, in, in, uh, in many settings about things like race and uh, diversity, um, I will use this verse as the as the definition of what our goal is. So in the world today, when we talk about ethnic diversity, racial diversity, or diversity of any sort, um, we often think of um, diversity as uh, like, like college brochures love to have the, the one picture that just has a whole bunch of different looking people. And so diversity is merely who's in the room. What, is, uh, what does the room look like? Um, and that's, there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's actually some merit in a visibly diverse community. But actually, that's not really the, the vision um, of what is the quality of life between a new people that God gathers from amongst difference and across enmity. That's not, the goal is not just a, a really different looking room. As a matter of fact, there are rooms that look visibly very diverse that don't realize the, the ideals of Ephesians 3.6, and actually there are rooms that visibly do not look particularly diverse that do realize the, uh, the, the ideals of, of Ephesians 3.6. Um, so I w- what I would often say is that this is the description of what the goal of multi-ethnic unity is, not diversity on its own, but rather heirs together, members together, and sharers together. And we'll spend the remainder of our time looking at those three phrases. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's in the original language; it's, it's incredibly elegant. This, this long uh, verse of Ephesians three six is mostly just three words: synchleironema, kai sisoma kai sumatoka. Three words, all of which have the same prefix, meaning together. Together heirs, together body, together shares and he just encapsulates it with three words. And we're going to look at those three words because those three words capture Paul's description of what this new Jew-Gentile community looks like, what this new former enemies made into one, what that community looks like, what a church should look like. Um, So we'll just go through each of those. So the first uh, term is synchloronema. It means uh, heirs together. Now, an heir um, is... It's self-evident, I think, for most of us, an heir. is something that it's coming to you. You're, you're in someone's will. It's, com- it's uh, coming to you. So let's uh, pretend that a couple of us are cousins, that we're cousins, and we are going to inherit a, a farm from a grandparent. Um, so when we are heirs together, what an heir together is, means that our, our status and our resource that is tied up in our inheritance goes up and down together. Right? So if we are... Um, if we are inheriting this farm together, if the farm goes into disrepair, both of us are losing value. If the farm becomes, you know, strikes oil underneath it, th- then the value goes up for us, right? So there's, when, when you are heirs together, that means that one of you cannot be a somebody while the other person is a nobody. Impossible. When you are an heir together, one cannot be a have while another person is a have not. That's not possible, um, I've seen an example of heirs together in um, in the life of one of my friends. Uh, He's uh, in a men's discipleship group that has met with some regularity for uh, at least twenty years now. And they uh, these young men, it's a, and it's an ethnically diverse group of of young men. Or they're not young anymore; they're all older than me, so they're now in their fifties. But they started meeting in their twenties, um, and it was this group of men that would they went through life together. Uh, they were ma- got married at various stages. They all had children. And then they came at one point to the place where they were buying houses. Now, what was happening, that my friend is an African-American, and the rest of the, 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 the group included African-Americans, Asian-Americans, and uh, uh, European-Americans, and they were all just sharing life together. And what was happening is they were all had kids, and they all started buying houses. Now, they lived in a very high cost-of-living place where you needed the down payment for a house was quite substantial in the place where they were all living at the point. And when he was realized my friend was realizing, all everybody else was able to afford a down payment, um, leveraging the resources of relatives. Like so, they got a gift from, an, uh, you know, a parent or something like that. They, they they weren't actually generating the capital for this down payment by themselves. My friend, who is African American, didn't have those resources in his immediate family. Um, and if, if you I'm sure there are people in here who study city planning or urban planning or sociology, that could sort of, if you want to ask questions about why, what barriers there are to g- be accumulating generational wealth. There are actually structural barriers to, gener- uh, to accumulating gen- uh, generational wealth in America that are racially correlated. We don't have time to get into that right now. But he, it wasn't just that his parents didn't plan well. There are also barriers uh, to that as well. So he was realizing, because of my background and the structural realities of, 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 this, uh, of this society I'm in, I don't have the resource to put a down payment while well, the rest of you do. Now, the rest of this group decided this is not going to happen. We are not going to all buy a house except for the one black guy in our group. So they all pooled their money so that uh, the, this fifth member, I think there are five people in the discipleship group, would, all, would also have a resource to be able to buy a house when everybody else was buying a house. That is sincleronima. That means being an heir together. The second word is a really interesting word, "sosoma." Um, it's in the NIV. It reads "members together." It's literally "body together," um, and as far as we can tell, it is a made-up word. Like, it's very likely that Paul made that word up right now in Ephesians. Prior to this, this word doesn't exist anywhere. Following Ephesians, it appears rarely and only in Christian context, right? So, it, it appears to be an invented Christian word, "body together." Um, And it's also fairly uh, self-evident what it means to be body together. So think with me. If you have one part of the body, it has a shared identity and experience with every other part of the body. So if, uh, for instance, you cannot, you can't come to me and say, I'm not saying you're ugly, I'm just saying your face is ugly. (laughs) But if it's true of one part of you, it's true of all of you, right? The body shares a united experience and identity. Um, uh, so I think that, with, and, and, and the intent is that that would also be the characteristic of the body of Christ. So um, an example would be uh, if someone hits their thumb, like you're hammering something and you hit your thumb with a hammer, what happens to your body? This, right? The whole body goes toward the pain because we're because we all experience the pain and we share that pain because it's happening to the whole body. Now what? can happen sometimes in the body of Christ when we hear some maybe not someone in our own congregation but when we hear about suffering in other parts of the body of Christ it, it can be maybe sort of like a, a brief shaking of our head, saying boy that's too bad that's really really difficult there uh really difficult that that thumb's having a hard time uh, good thing I've got nine more of those um you know and uh maybe we could amputate See, the, the idea of having a, a common experience in identity means that when there is joy and suffering, it is shared. There's no, there's no, it does not happen to one part when it does not happen for the whole. And that is part of what Paul describes as the character of the church, particularly the church that is drawn from people that were former enemies. What is it like to, to be a body together with someone? Well, I had an experience of this sort... Um, A number of years ago I was uh, interviewing, so part of my job for a a period of time was interviewing campus ministers to hire them as uh, InterVarsity staff. And we were interviewing a number of people, and we were interviewing an Asian American staff. I was the only uh, Asian American in the interview panel, so we were interviewing this this, uh, candidate. And he was talking, he was just answering an interview question, and and he made a passing comment that essentially it showed his deep awareness of the deficiencies of his Asian American background but didn't show a sense of appreciation for it. So you can imagine, I'm an Asian-American. I see an Asian-American interviewee. He's talking about, oh, how we have these problems and those problems. And I was deeply saddened uh, by, by seeing my fellow Asian-American who could see the, the flaws and, and deficiencies of our cultural background but didn't seem to have the ability to highlight the strengths of that. And, I, and I was, as a matter of fact, I was so sad that I was distracted for the whole rest of the, that particular interview. Um, now, uh, what came to mind, though, is I thought of a friend in that moment, a particular friend, and I told him that afterwards, because I knew that the people that were um, in that interview room with me right now, that they, we were just interviewing this guy and taking notes about him, and they, they didn't have any idea what experience I was going through. But I had a friend, a colleague, that I knew if he were in that room, he would know that that was bothering me. Um, and he would, he would feel that. And not only did he, would he know that I felt that way, but that he would feel it deeply enough that he also would have been distracted all the way through the rest of the interview. Um, and I told him that. And that is an example of sysoma, body together, this invented word, where if suffering goes on in one place, it is something that is shared, that the whole body moves toward it. Sinclaironima, sysoma, And the last word is sumatoka. It is a word that means uh, sharers together. Now, unlike heirs together and body together, sharers together doesn't have a self-evident meaning. What does it mean to be sharers together? Um, Fortunately, we have a clue because uh, Paul uses this word again in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. And uh, essentially, in Ephesians chapter 5, he uses the word in the negative. He actually says, uh, there are If you're an idolater or if you're greedy, um, you you will not enter and you will not inherit the kingdom of of, of God. So therefore, do not be sumatoka with with those people. So it's 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 describing actually having a common direction and destiny. So in Ephesians 5, he talks in the negative of people who have a negative direction and who will end up with a negative outcome, a negative destiny. And so Paul says, don't be sumatoka with them. So it seems like what sumatoka means, me- uh, shares together. Uh, uh, it seems to mean that a common direction and a common destiny. We're on a journey together, and we're going to make it together, or not. Uh, my experience uh, of sumatoka that I uh, that was one of the most profound of my life was um, I, there was a time when um, I was the director of a number of intervarsity ministries, and we uh, we we had an independent black student ministry that. Decided they wanted to affiliate and become an intervarsity ministry, and so I I'd hired a, a, a black staff who would staff that chapter, um, and uh, and she was the campus minister there, and she invited me to speak for their their fellowship one time. Now, in intervarsity, there are many we actually have a many people, including many Asian Americans, who are known for being having great facility in preaching in the African American vernacular. I was not one of them. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, at this point, this, is, this would have been my first experience in preaching in a predominantly African-American setting. Um, and so I, I went and we pre- I preached on Jacob. I, I actually pulled out one of what I thought was my you know, best talks from my first you know, 10 years or so in ministry, and I gave the talk. And afterwards, I met with our you know, the staff that invited me um, and, uh, and asked for some feedback. And she said, well, Joe, you know that like, in the African-American church, it's important to be um, direct and exhortational. So the thing was, that's what I thought I was doing. (laughs) So I actually knew that, and I was shooting for a 10 on my scale of 1 to 10. (laughs) And still, the feedback that I got from uh, from Charlene was that, uh, well, you know, you really have to be direct and exhortational. (laughs) I was like, oh, I thought I was trying for that. Now, where I experienced Sumatoka is I got the fastest reinvitation to speak that I have ever had. I think it was three weeks later she asked me to come back and speak again. Um, now, if I were her, I have to say, I would not have done that. I would have said, you know what? Joe's a good supervisor. He's a good strategist. He's a good discipler. He has, a, he has many ways he can contribute to the success of my ministry um, besides preaching. So I will just deploy him more judiciously next time. But no, she decided... And it was a clear signal. It was like, as soon as I got back, she said, come and preach again. And so I came back, and I decided, first of all, I'm going to have to find a 13 on my scale of 1 to 10. Um, And so I came and prepared a sermon on Jonah, and I talked about, you know, and and the the basic outline of it was that this was the University of Virginia. um, Thomas Jefferson, you know, uh, there's lots of history behind Virginia. But they essentially they say, as a black student fellowship at the University of Virginia, you are in hostile territory. We're in hostile territory. This is not a place where um, that is designed for our thriving here. Um, and, just, and, and, and Jonah ha- was actually a prophet sent to preach to, to Nineveh, to an enemy, to a place that was hostile to him. Um, and that was the challenge of Jonah. And so that was the, the challenge of that, uh, of that sermon. And I, and I did it, uh, didn't really know quite how it went. Um, there's some other stories about how, it, uh, so I'll tell you this story too. She I said, at the end of this talk, I really want you to give a call to faith, invite people to follow Jesus. I knew she said that and I got to the end of the talk and I chickened out. I was like, I'm not get, I, I, don't, I don't know if people are tracking with me, so I just sort of sat down. And so she just stood up and said, you know, does anybody want to follow Jesus for the first time? A couple of people stood up, and I was, and so, and so I don't, I didn't know how that went, but, uh, so two years later, um, I'd left, um, I'd left uh, Virginia, she'd actually left Virginia for a new job, but there was a, an incident at the University of Virginia where a black student was mistaken for a, um, for an intruder, and ended up getting beaten up by the police, his name was Martise Johnson, and at that point, a lot of the black students at the University of Virginia were saying, I'm out, I don't want to go to the school anymore. Um, and and the, popu- the black student population was plummeting at that, during that era. And so Charlene actually went back to the University of Virginia just to care for some of the students. And one of the students said, Yeah, I thought about leaving too. But I remember a couple years ago, some guy came and talked about Jonah. So I think I'll stay. And, and I don't think that was because my sermon was particularly good. I, you know, I think it was probably... Opti- B-plus is optimistic. You know, on that. I think that it had that impact because Charlene invited me back. It had nothing to do with me or even the students. That God infused his power and his favor into the fact that Charlene could have done something else, but she decided, I will be Sumatoka with you. And God pl- was pleased with that and infused his power and his favor with that. You know, I, uh, we... Um, closed our time yesterday at the retreat with a time of prayer, and I saw these three verbs or these three nouns lived out in this congregation. I saw as we prayed for each other, I saw us being um, heirs together, stories of people literally sharing financial resource with each other to say we are on mission together, our calling is shared, and so we will share uh, our, our resource with each other. I heard stories of people being body together, of, of, of people sharing um, things that, in groups, you normally wouldn't expect people to say, I'm struggling with this, or this is a difficult uh, uh, thing I'm going through, and people standing, and others standing along with them, saying, I, I share that, that experience, that we are, we are experiencing this together. I saw that yesterday. And then the sense of, uh, of shared direction and destiny, um, people asking for prayers not just on the part, not just for my needs or my joys, but for a sense of common ambition, a common ambition of, as a community that we would, that we would be awakened and enlivened to the things of God more than we are, that we would be captured by biblical imagination. Those were two of the prayers that people asked. And that was a prayer not just for themselves, but something on our behalf. I saw that um, beautifully exemplified by this congregation. And so my exhortation is to, to see that, to recognize that, to, to have ambitions that it would be more and more like that. And then, and then maybe to, to capstone with some of what we were talking about uh, yesterday is that when there are walls of difference, difference and division in our society, when there are historical enmities among societies and peoples in this world, when that sort of community is developed amongst those peoples, that is the sign par excellence of the gospel. That is what, that is why Paul is excited. You know, um, as a Jew, he had no reason to be excited that the Gentiles would have this kind of status, right? Like, why would Paul even be so excited that this that this would be the case. Wouldn't it be sort of more like Jonah, perhaps, a grudging kind of, oh, I don't know, I'm not not so okay with this. But Paul could not wait to tell people about this mystery, about how his enemies and his oppressors got to come on equal terms with himself. He was so excited about that. Why? Because he knew that it revealed something about God, it revealed the glory of God. It's just like that it revealed the power of God, just like that story of what happened with Charlene. It wasn't so much of what she did or what I did, but the fact that when that happens, God is pleased and God releases his favor and his power. Um, So may I commend to you, uh, sincleronima, heirs together, sisoma, body together, sumatoka, sharers together, as the watchword for what it means to be the people of God. And may I commend to you, too, the ambition that even enemies and those who are far from God and far from each other, that when those people can exhibit these qualities together, then that is where the power of God is released into a hurting world. Can I pray for us? Lord Jesus, these um, ideals, uh, these aspirations are beyond us. Um, Had we not uh, had testimonies of the the saints in Scripture and throughout church history to tell us those stories and those rare stories that we hear in in our world today, we could scarcely believe that you would call us to this. Um, And yet you are determined to reveal your glory and your goodness on this broken world, and we do avail ourselves to you uh, to take our measured steps, our particular callings uh, of faithfulness to be able to realize this. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that I've seen those characteristic uh, concretely lived out in this congregation? Lord, would you multiply it across more and more barriers of difference and hostility um, that your name and your glory and your power would be ever more released in this world? Amen.